In this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, I talk with Michelle Hansen. She's the co-host of the podcast Software Social, a bootstrapped entrepreneur who has grown her SaaS to north of $1 million with her co-founder. And she's written a book about mastering customer interviews. It's called Deploy Empathy, A Practical Guide to Interviewing Customers. It's a really good book. I'm going to be honest, her experience learning and then practicing customer interviews is pretty unique. And you can tell in the book that this is not just another book about, you know, doing jobs to be done, customer development interviews. She has a very unique take on it. And I think you're going to enjoy it. Even if you're concerned or scared about doing customer interviews, you don't have much interest in them. I I think this conversation is going to be enlightening. You can go to deployempathy.com if you want to check out all the ways you can buy the book and, you know, learn more about Michelle. And of course, you can check out her podcast, Software Social. So without further ado, let's dive right in to my conversation with Michelle. Michelle Hansen, thanks for joining me on the show again. Thank you for having me back. Folks might recall episode 524 of this very podcast. It was called Bootstrapping a Commodity SaaS, where you and your husband, Matthias, came on and talked about your trials, tribulations, and victories with Geocodio. Yeah, that was about a year ago or two. I think so. Well, yeah, we're, this is 586. So that's 60 something episodes. So yeah, yeah year, year and a half. Yeah. And I would like to note that in the book that we're going to talk about today, your book is Deploying Empathy, A Practical Guide to Interviewing Customers. You revealed that the two of you have bootstrapped Geocodio to north of a million dollars ARR. That is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Geocodio turns eight in January, which is pretty wild. Yeah. And when you started it, it didn't it do $31 in the first month or something like yes. that? <laughs> Yeah. And so you you were like, hey, maybe build this little fun tool. And now it's, I mean, that is an amazing, life-changing startup for you guys. Amazing, life-changing product. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when we started it, it was just, it was actually a side project to keep another side project going. It never even crossed our minds that it could be our full-time jobs. And here we are now. And I have actually worked on Geocodio longer than I ever worked for anybody else at this point. Yep. And and it's the power of entrepreneurship and of SaaS. It's that the flywheel that just gets going in the first year it does X thousand and the next one it does two X and then two X. And it's like pretty soon you've built this amazing two-person SaaS company that does seven figures is the envy of so, so many people that we know. And it's 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 like more people do it than you think, but also not as many. Like a lot try and don't get there. You know? So what like what do you think that you and Matthias have have done right? Like what is what are the you know two or three things you might say we just really this is what created this success for us. To what you said about, you know, people wanting to get to this point. And I, I think that's something that drove me to write the book because you know, having built a company, I feel a responsibility to help others do the same. And so whether that is investing to help them, like, you know, we're excited to be investing in Chinese Seed Europe, or just, you know, helping them where where we didn't have help, where we didn't really have mentors throughout this whole process. And I mean, one thing that we, we do is we listen to our customers and, and we let that guide us. And so that was a, a huge motivation for me and kind of getting all of this stuff about how to understand your customers and how to talk to them um, out of my head and on paper as a way to help other people do what we've done and then some. 
Yeah. I, and I think that's a good way to think about it, or I like that way that you're thinking about it because it's like you have this information in your head and my guess is you've probably heard other people talk about customer interviews or you've read other books on it and they just didn't quite sync up with your experience. And it was like, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll speak for myself. I wrote Start Small, Stay Small in 2009, published 2010, because I was so pissed off at all the f- books about starting up and how none of them were for us. None of them were for bootstrappers. None of them talked about being a one or two person company. Everyone expected you had venture capital, you know, it's just, and I was so angry and I was like, well, I've done this. I just need to get this out. So I'm not saying you're as angry as I was, <laughs> but I am curious if, if you kind of looked around and you were like, you know, there's like a different, or maybe like my take, I think, you know, would be really helpful and it, and it isn't out there yet. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great books on user experience research, but basically with the exception of the mom test, a lot of them are not written for people who are trying to start their own companies without funding. And as you said, there are those assumptions of like, oh, well, like bring this to your team of people and like, you know, you'll want to get some budget for this or like think about budgeting for travel to visit them. And like, you know, so I, I started out doing user research as a product manager in a, in a bigger company. And so those things were not off-putting to me at the time, but throughout the years and throughout having these experience of, you know, jumping on a call with a founder and just helping them figure out how to interview customers. And I would recommend the books that I had used when I was learning how to do this. Like people would be kind of off-put by it because they'd be like, oh, well, like, I don't, I don't have a budget. Like I don't, I don't have a dedicated researcher. I don't have a dedicated UX person to prototype with them. I don't have all of these things that this book is assuming I have. Like, is this still for me? And it made people feel like this was not something that was for them or that they kind of like weren't welcome and something that they had already built up some fear around of like talking to people and, and understanding like, and like all, there was already a, a, a large amount of fear built up around just the interaction itself of interviewing someone and then adding on this like additional layer of insecurity around, oh my God, like this is only for people who have funding. This is only for big companies. Like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. And so the goal was to kind of make it approachable to everyone, but also kind of, you know, think about how like the the mom test is on a lot of people's shelves and it does such a great job of talking about like that stage when you're figuring out like what you should build and whether you should build it and how do you get that really early feedback from people. You also need to get feedback if you've been running a company for five years or 10 years, or once you've got it going, how do you stop churn? Or how do you figure out why people are bouncing off of something? Or how do you figure out why people are happy so you can get more people who would be happy? Like there's all these other things that you can use research for. And there just wasn't really a book like geared towards, you know, the indie software experience. I think that's why it's so helpful and why it's resonated with me. As I read through the book, your examples all feel very much in line with my experience, you know, and the experience of the founders around me. And it's because you are a practitioner, both of customer interviews and of being a bootstrap founder. And if folks check out your podcast, Software Social, they'll hear you and your co-host Colleen talking about this kind of stuff. And I think you've either done, it was probably six or eight months ago, but you either did a sample interview on air where like you interviewed her, she interviewed, I don't remember what it was, but like that episode struck me as really interesting because hearing the insights, and I, you have a transcript of uh, at least one transcript, maybe a couple in this book 
of sample interviews. So that's what I like about this book. And that's why I think folks listening should pick it up is for 10 bucks on Kindle and whatever it is, 25 in paperback. It is crazy practical. There's a tiny bit of theory, just enough, but in every, it's like, there's a framework, but then it's like, when should you do interviews, recruiting participants, how to talk so people will talk, sample interviews, sample scripts. And it's just like, if you really want to hit the ground running, you flip through this and, and you also, I guess, give either the justification of like when to do it and why. Yeah, I think I wanted to make it really practical for people bearing in mind that they may already be feeling kind of overwhelmed by this. And I don't want to bog them down with theory. There needs to be enough, but it needed to be woven into it. And, you know, ideally you could sit down, skim the book. Like there's even a section at the back of the book that's like, if you just want to skim this, here's like your little cheat sheets for the stuff you need. And then you can just get running and, and go on it. And that's actually, you know, on being a practitioner, that was something that I, I didn't realize until the book had been out for a couple months at that point, when someone pointed out that most of the books on user research are written by consultants, which sort of makes sense because the book is kind of lead gen for them in a way. And there's very few books that are written by practitioners, like Cindy Alvarez's um, Lean Customer Development comes to mind, for example. Never mind a small SaaS practitioner. And so, yeah, the, the, the idea is you can just pick it up and run and get started and, you know, have what you need there as reference if you, if you need it later. And I'll quote you from your book. I, people sometimes quote me what I've said on a podcast or in a book, and I'm always often like, did I say that? Because either it's <laughs> like, huh, that's actually really insightful. I'm, I'm happy that I said that. Or I don't remember saying that, and that sounds kind of dumb, or I don't agree with it anymore. But anyways, I, I want to read this quote from the book because I was struck by the title, right? It's Deploy Empathy. And I had to think of like, oh, deploy is like code, but if you like deploying code, but then I was like, no, it's not that. I think it's like bringing empathy to the customer. And so, and actually a piece of this, you took from like a, a different definition. So there's like embedded quotes in here, but bottom line is it says, empathy is about understanding how another person thinks and acknowledging their reasoning and emotions as valid, even if they differ from your own understanding. In this context, in the context of this book, empathy means entering the other person's world and understanding that their decisions and actions make sense from their perspective. And so writing a book about like the subtitle is a practical guide to interviewing customers, but the title is deploy empathy, right? So you've, it's an unusual title, I'll say. So what, what brought you to, to deploy empathy? So I wanted to have a title that was sort of a, a wink to developers so that they knew that this was a book for them because when I initially started writing the, the newsletter, which became the book, it was very much geared towards indie developers and, and makers. And the audience has since expanded significantly beyond that. But that was really the, the core group of people. And I thought by using the word deploy in it that there's sort of this like, you know, you're like deploying code and, and what you are deploying has empathy for your customer embedded into it. But you're also using empathy. What I didn't realize until well after I had launched the book, which 
I wish I had done more research on was that apparently like deploy empathy is also a Gary V phrase. And I had oh, no idea yeah. about that. So, I mean, it's, it's basically sort of really hard to search for on Twitter because you get all these like Gary V people in there. And then, I mean, actually, I, I seem to have a talent for picking like ungoogleable titles because software social, you get all this stuff about social software and it's like, ah, so yeah, don't ask me for naming advice. But yeah, I think it, it was, it's sort of like a, a very subtle wink to developers, but also that a non-developer would also understand the title at the same time. Got it. And I totally picked up on the deploy and I thought to myself, am I reading too far into this? You know, is there, is there oh, a symbolism? So do you have it? Like flip over to the back cover. Do you, ha do you have a copy on you right now? Yep. I have a PDF you sent me. Let me flip to it. Oh, okay. So there is actually, so on the actual book, I'll, I'll have to send you a picture of this, but there's a little like sort of code block that says like empathy deploy, initializing mental models, building interview skills, softening tone of voice, configuring recruitment templates, preparing tools, loading scripts, installing deep bug protocols, processing results. Like it's a little... I thought I was there very it clever by doing that. So. Yeah, that, that was that's the tell, right? That's the confirmation. Yeah, uh, that's funny. So, and so let's talk about feature requests as customer research because we can, you know, you have a your book is is nice and concise, it's about two hundred pages, and then there's a hundred pages of extra stuff. There's transcripts, sample interviews, and appendices. Which I, when I was looking through the appendices, I was like, oh yeah, this is like there's a whole appendix I think aimed at like single founders or, you know, people without teams and all that. But one piece of this is chapter 56 is feature requests as customer research. You want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think this chapter came out of a lot of the conversations I had with readers of the book. So I very much did a, a build in public, write in public process for writing the book, started writing it out as a newsletter. And when I got to the point where I realized, you know, I had a full draft, I interviewed 30 early readers of the, the newsletter or those early drafts to understand why do they want to learn about this in the first place, but also what are their fears around this? What have they already tried? What are, what are other practical business books that they liked and what did they like about them? But one hesitation and fear that came out of those was people feeling like they didn't have time for this on top of everything else you're doing, right? Because I mean, like, and I know this myself, if you're running a company, like you're doing everything from like building new features to like, you know, security issues to negotiating a contract to like dealing with your accountant, like to answering customer support, like you're doing everything. And the idea of adding something else on top of it, even if people get the point of it and they see the value of it and they want to do it, it's like, how the heck do I fit this in? Like, like I don't have time to just stop what I'm doing and just research for a month, which is something Colleen and I have talked about on the podcast. And I'm always like, no, integrate it into what you're already doing. You don't have to go into a research cave for a month and stop building features. But so feature requests, I think, are a really helpful springboard for understanding what people are trying to do without necessarily having to like chunk off all of this time to do interviews or recruit people for them because people are coming to you. And so this is a whole chapter on, okay, how do you take a feature request and turn it into something that helps you understand what that person is trying to do and why? And a lot of people, when they get a feature request, their first thought is, okay, is this even possible? How would I make that work? Like, what else do I have going on? Like, what is the time? Like, it, like it feels like someone's handing you a project, especially if you're a developer. And so instead, reframing that as, okay, let's just 
sort of pump the brakes on figuring out if we can build this or should we or, you know, where it fits in and instead say, okay, let's pull it back and say, thank you for that suggestion. I'm really curious. Like, can you tell me just what, like, what leads you to want that? And what are you currently using to get that done? So you can understand what someone's process is and understand how valuable it is to them. And if they're currently, you know, patching together four different tools for that and they would rather use your product, like that's a really great sign. There's a lot of, there's frustration and hassle and probably money spent there. If it's just a random passing idea they had and it's something that they do once a year, then probably not so much. But it's really important to get that like context first and you can always make it become a phone call so you can really understand what they're trying to do and use some of the interview techniques from that method. But if you use feature requests as a springboard, then you don't have to do that recruiting process. And I imagine after you do a couple of calls with people requesting feature requests, you will want to go then recruit people and understand better and you'll really see the value of it. Right. And you have a list of questions that if the feature request happens to come while you're on a phone call, here are some sample questions you can use. I won't read all of them, but you have questions like, can you walk me through the context on when you might use this? How did this project come about? What do you currently use for this? What did you use for this in the past? Do you pay anything for those other tools? Can you walk me through what you've already considered? And and it's really about getting, it's about getting more context and about, I think, getting a deeper, like more complete understanding of what they're actually trying to do and what they've tried in the past. I know that we used to get like with, with well, with any app I built, but Drip is, uh, is the most recent one. So I, re- I remember getting, we'd get feature requests for like, I'm in the campaign builder and I want like a checkbox that allows me to, or I want an if, so that I can say, well, if they have this tag, then send them this email, otherwise send them that email, right? And it was always like, okay, so why do you want to do that? What, what are you trying to do? Like, show me the actual emails you're trying to send. And A, we can probably do it with two campaigns. But B, that would be a really clunky way to do it, the way you've described. Like, I don't want to do it the way you've done it, but like, what I, we would try to get to the problem, not their solution, right? Oftentimes, customers' solutions to problems are, they're not software people. So they just think, what's the simplest? I need a checkbox here, but that will actually ruin your app over time, you know, because then you'll have a kajillion checkboxes everywhere. And it turns out, like, that particular one, we kept getting variations of it. And eventually, we were like, well, we just need a visual workflow builder, right? That's a better way to, to express an if rather than attach it or bolt it onto the campaign builder like the customers were suggesting, but we never would have understood that maybe the depth of their request or what they were actually trying to do without asking questions like you have here. Yeah. And and very often people express problems as solutions and that can be a little bit frustrating as a product builder. I mean, I remember just being a product manager, you, you very often get that from executives too. That's like, oh, we need to add this feature. And it's like, okay, but can you just walk me through like what's leading you to say it? And like, you can deliver on what the problem, their problem, but maybe in a way that's more coherent or cohesive or fits in better with the product vision. But like that, that's the problem they are expressing through that solution is still valid. And that's where the, the, the role of empathy comes into this of, okay, the perspective this person is coming from is valid. The way they're expressing it to me may not be the most optimal way. Let's put that aside. Let's try to figure out like what like what is the problem beneath all of this? What are they really trying to do? What is the context that has made them think about this so much that they are now proposing a solution to me? Like they, they've put a lot of thought into this. Why have they put so much thought into this? 
what is going on here? And then when, as you said, you get multiple people kind of coming to you with these sort of features that have these similarities in them, then it's like, okay, there's some underlying context here. And the fact that we're getting them so frequently means that this is a shared problem among people. This isn't just this one particular person with this very particular problem. Right. And the interesting part about interviews, usually when I hear someone do a talk about interviews or I see a book or hear a podcast episode, I cringe a little bit for two reasons. One, I think, to your point earlier, I don't have, who has time for this, right? But the other one is it's a little intimidating if you've never done them. I think it's easy. It's kind of like a developer thinking about doing sales where it's like, oh, I really don't want to do that. But you seem to be a natural at these interviews because, I've, again, I've heard your sample. And then when I see the transcript in the, in the book, it f- seems to just come to you, you know, without a lot of effort. Was it always like that or were the early ones pretty rough and you had to f- get better and now you're really good because you've practiced? It's definitely not a natural for me. You know, a lot of the the tactics I talk about and how to talk so people will talk, like mirroring someone and leaving space for them to talk and, you know, how to, how to phrase follow-up questions and show that you're listening, like all of those things. I had to learn it. I write this book about empathy from the perspective of someone who had to learn empathy, both for other people and for themselves. And I was fortunate enough to learn interviewing under the tutelage of a PhD user researcher and an experienced design leader. And I was basically a silent participant in their interviews for several months and handed books and papers from them about how to do interviews and had them sitting with me, partnering with me as I was doing them for for several years. So I really got that kind of experience and I feel very grateful for that. And most people can't get that kind of experience, especially if you're a solo dev running your own company. And so the idea was, how do I teach this to people in sort of a gentle way that if they're coming at this from the perspective of this is overwhelming, this is scary, I don't like regular social conversations. Now you want me to talk to these complete strangers who pay me money. Like what if I what if I offend them and then they don't want to pay me anymore? And then just like it kind of there's a spiral of anxieties that come up. And so it was really important to me that the book exhibited and and like empathy for the reader so that they would understand what empathy feels like on the receiving end through the process of reading the book. And that was something I, I really focused on as I was writing it to almost be a bit repetitive about like, it's okay if you're worried this is going to be a waste of time. It's okay if you're worried you're going to say the wrong thing. It's okay. Like the fact that you're worried about it means that you care and that's a good thing. And you don't have to push that feeling away. You don't have to just tell yourself not to, to worry about it. Because if you, anyone who has tried them to tell themselves not to be worried about something knows that you end up just more worried about it. So, so it's how do we exhibit that empathy and, and gentleness to the reader so that they feel confident in doing this. And I think that's a somewhat unique take. And it's, I think it's because you experienced both kind of the academic side of it in reading all these papers and books. You received an apprenticeship in this by watching the PhD. And then you are now a practitioner in your own company. I bet there are a handful of people on this earth who have done those three things in this field. Like you have such unique experience. And I think that's why this book will resonate or why it resonates with me. And I think why it will resonate with founders is because 
doing any one of those things is great. And you could have written a book. It would not be this book. You know, it would have a different feel to it or a different focus. And a piece of the book says, this book will help you. And it lists a bunch of things and it's launch a product. See if people would pay for something. Understand why people are canceling. Know why people are buying so you can find more customers. Determine which features to add next. Figure out how to keep customers and why people buy again. So it's not just... Here's interviewing for academic sake. This is what a perfect interview looks like. It's This is how you accomplish all these things. And as I look down this list, actually, it feels a lot. It reminds me a lot of jobs to be done. And I think most people you know, have heard of that by now. And there's interviews. How would you like compare and contrast your approach or your mental framework of it to jobs to be done? Oh, it's very much a jobs to be done book. I am hugely influenced by Clayton Christensen and Bob Moesta. By the way, his book, Demand Side Sales, also has three sample interviews in it. So if that is your favorite part of my book, go get Demand Side Sales. So good. Very, very influenced by Jobs to be Done. I only name check it a couple of times because I don't want to introduce too much jargon into the book. There are references throughout it to a lot of Jobs to be Done books and um, at the end of it, but it's it's very much a jobs to be done book. It's what are people trying to accomplish overall? What is the process they're going through to do that? And then the idea from a business perspective is if you solve steps of that process and make it easier or faster or cheaper for people to do the things they're already trying to do, then you will have a better chance of having a successful business because you are solving a real problem that they are already trying to solve. Right. And I realize I should have said this at the top, but if folks want to buy the book, it's on Amazon. You can search for Deploy Empathy. We'll obviously link it up in the show notes as well. You have a Kindle and a print version. Have you considered doing an audio version? Oh, yeah. So I did a private podcast pre-sale last fall. So I was just recording every chapter, basically. And then so I released one chapter a week from the end of August to the end of December um, and actually just hired an audio editor today to do the post-production work to get the audio book out there. Awesome. Are you going to put it on Audible? Uh, unclear. I've been, I thought I was going to do Audible and then I've been reading a lot about Audible lately and it doesn't seem super great for authors. So uh, I might use Findaway Voices to distribute it instead, but it seems like there might be some hijinks going on with how uh, Audible calculates when they pay an author. So... Well, that's a bummer because I have, book, <laughs> I have two books on Audible. Yeah, uh, but with Findaway, it'll be available through public libraries, so... Awesome. You have testimonials. You have a testimonial from Patrick McKenzie. It says, Deploy Empathy is far and away the best book I've read on user interviews. You have a testimonial from my friend and yours, Adam McCrea, founder of Rails Autoscale. So I think if folks are listening and you're at all interested in learning about interviews, you should go check it out. It's Deploy Empathy, a practical guide to interviewing customers. And of course, if they want to hear you chat about this kind of stuff, as well as running your own bootstrapped company, they can check out Software Social, which is a podcast you've been running for a couple of years. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. 
Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I've been trying to mix up formats with some conversations with founders, some solo episodes, some Q&A episodes, bootstrapper news, conversations with authors and people who, you know, are, are going maybe a little deeper because sometimes you hear a 30-minute conversation about a topic and you realize, I would love to listen to a 10-hour audiobook, you know, or read a physical copy on that topic. And so I hope you enjoy the variety of content that I'm putting out for you and hope to see you back here again next week. I'll be back in your ears again, as always, next Tuesday morning. Thank you.